I'm Woody Huffines, and this is the Owner's Voyage Podcast, a journey to business ownership. In this podcast, we'll talk about how to make that journey more fun, more rewarding, hopefully more profitable, as well as tips for staying away from potholes, dead ends, traps, and washed out bridges. We'll help you join us. Welcome to the Owner's Voyage Podcast, episode number 39. This is an interview with Trisha Jones, who's the Nerds to Go owner in Northampton, New Hampshire. As always, interesting things to be learned when you talk to another business owner. The ones that I think that you should pay attention to here is is when to get started and why to get started. And understanding that a steady job may not be so certain and the, the uncertainty of business ownership may not be that different from the uncertainty in being in a, in a Fortune 500 company. Pay attention to the ideas of lifelong learning and the differences between corporate and small business. Trisha has a very background, uh, an impressive background, as most of the nerds to go owners do. I hope you learned some things from Trisha because I certainly did. Enjoy the interview. So your your background, um, project management, operations, product yeah. management, that kind of stuff. So who who, yeah. did, who did you do all that stuff for? So I worked for Chase or J.P. Morgan Chase for, I don't know, about five years or so while I was working on my bachelor's degree at Arizona State. And, you know, I got familiar with, you know, the credit card and call center, I'll call it call center industry, working for Chase and then moved over to Prudential Financial. And I worked for them for about 10 years, I want to say, again, kind of in the call center operations side of things. And then, uh, and then I spent the last, oh, I hate to say it, but 22 years working for Liberty Mutual. <laughs> it's, 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 you know, when I was, uh, when I was in college, I was 18 years old and I, my college career was, uh, varied. I tell people I went to school for four terms, Carter's, both <laughs> Reagan's and Bush's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some, some, th- some, th- some things happened. But anyway, we were, you know, we were 18 years old and there was a guy in the dorms, his name was Ed Bear. He was a, he was a gunnery sergeant in the Marine Corps and then helicopter crash disabled him. I mean, he was like oh. 12% disabled or, you know, it, 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 he still mm-hmm. played intramural football. It wasn't like he was bedridden, but he had a little, he was, okay. he, he was taking his benefits and he went back to college mm-hmm. and he was 30 years old right. and we were like, why would the hell would you go to college when you're 30? You're almost dead. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, perspective. Yes, your perspective yeah. changes a bit. Yeah, I managed to squeeze in my master's degree uh, somewhere between kid number one and kid number two, I think, while I was working at Prudential. So I worked on my math, my MBA while I was there and, um, you know, did my project management certification, which you know, was important at the time, although I think it's less so these days uh, as all the companies are kind of moving towards agile project management. I don't know if you've heard of that, but. Well, it, I think it, it depends a lot on on the industry you're in. Um, I started my career uh, at Westinghouse Savannah River Company. We were, we built nuclear weapons and we were building, oh. you know, the, the projects were substantial you know, 35, 40, 60, 80 million dollar projects, 115 million dollar projects, you know, build a cooling tower, mm-hmm. re- restart a nuclear reactor. Um, later, oh, after, wow. la- later, later after I had left Savannah River, uh, the, the next evolution of my career, I was the, the project CFO or the project controller for a four billion dollar new nuclear build. 
it was 3.9 billion wow. when we started and 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 grow and mm-hmm. grew, grew with escalation and then i was at south texas plant which was an 11 billion dollar job and the the pmp certification in those really big really high risk really high dollar projects agile agile project management hasn't penetrated that part of it so it's really mm-hmm. i think it's really part of what the industry is uh, certainly for software um, and software development yeah. and rollouts and things like that. It, it works very well, but when you're looking yep. at four and a half, five billion dollar construction project, it's still mm-hmm. it's it's Primavera Pre Six and Cobra Cost Processor World. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's good to know that you know all that uh, all that time and effort and testing I did maybe is uh, still valued somewhere. <laughs> it's 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 still valued. It is still valued. <laughs> So what? So yeah. what? So what made you decide to stop doing that and start doing Nerds to Go? You know, I, um, you know, as I mentioned, I was with uh, in the corporate, you know, big corporate environment for a long time, and like most people, I have been through. I had been through many, many reorg, layoff scares, bad managers coming and going. I think I just got tired of it. I got tired of every few months you know, being afraid that I was going to get laid off or lose my job or, or have to work for someone that I didn't really uh, see eye to eye with, or that I was going to be forced to uh, be reorged into some kind of work that I didn't really want to do. And just feeling like I was always at somebody else's mercy as to what my fate was going to be. And I think I just got less and less tolerant of that over time to the point where I decided I really wanted to take more control over my own future. So I started uh, meeting uh, Nicole and I, Nicole, you know, she's my uh, co-owner and business partner here. And we, we had worked on a bunch of projects together and we worked really well together and we had a good time and, you know, had similar, you know, work ethics and values. And uh, so we just started meeting once a week at lunch to talk about like, hey, what could we do if we weren't going to be doing this? What, 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 what could we do? And I mean, we had those weekly meetings for probably a year, <laughs> um, just tossing a bunch of ideas on the whiteboard and uh, looking at a lot of different things. And we ultimately settled on, we thought, we thought a franchise would be a good option for us because um, a lot of the a lot of the stuff is already you know we have more support you know we wouldn't have to figure out everything from scratch you know like all the branding and the marketing and the operations and you know all of those things which you know neither one of us had a lot of experience in at the time so um, we thought it would be great to have a, a little bit more support that comes along with the franchising but also have the independence that comes along with being a business owner and an entrepreneur. And um, so, yeah, so that's kind of how we ended up doing that. Well, did, did you, did you hear the Catherine Monson interview that I did? I did. Yeah, it was very good. And, I really enjoyed that. Well, thank you. One, one of the things that she said that I thought was, uh, it was a, and I like, I like a turn of a phrase kind of, you know, ask not what you can do for your country, what your country can do for you. And, and Never let a kiss fool you or a fool kiss you. You know, that, that, those inversions. Yeah, you guys are good with the quote. You know, I'm not, I, I am not as good on the quote, but well, yeah. One of the things that she said that, that really, that really rung true for me is to be in business for yourself, but not by yourself. Yeah. 
and that the, makes a lot of sense. And, and the franchise. That seems like that that was part of the franchise. So, so you would the way you would categorize. How would you categorize your why? What is the what is the the central why that you decided to do a small business? Is just that getting out of the Fortune five hundred corporate unhappiness? I, I think it was really it was two things. Woody. It was yeah. I think first and foremost to feel more in control of my own future. And to be able to enjoy the rewards of my hard work and to get the benefits of that hard work instead of being relying on someone else to validate or provide that rewards and recognition. Um, And then the second thing is really just the uh, doing work that is meaningful, I think. Um, I, in in the corporate environment, when you work for such a huge company, you know, uh, your work becomes very specialized. You know, you don't really have in many cases, a lot of direct contact with the customer. So, you know, so although, you know, our company, my corporate job, you know, we had a company mission, which is, you know, to, uh, you know, provide peace of mind, say, for our customers. But I don't think I ever actually once ever got to talk to a customer. So that customer was very, it was more conceptual and very elusive and kind of had no direct contact with that customer. So my work a lot of times just seemed kind of meaningless and pointless because I didn't really see the direct impact of my my work effort. Whereas now, you know, uh, running my own business, I get to see the direct results of my work every single day. And I get to, I get to help people and um, I get to talk to the customers and I get to see the, the results of, um, of the effort that, that we're putting in. And that, that I guess, you know, provides more meaning to the work. So well, in the, um, I in, guess that's something I was missing. In the podcast, uh, one of the podcast episodes, and I've talked about it a number of times, there's a Japanese concept called Ikigai. And Ikigai oh. says that there are four pillars to your life, um, and they are what you like to do or what you love to do. There's what you do mm-hmm. well. There's what someone will pay you to do, and there's something that has meaning or that the world needs. And I, yeah. I, I think my experience was very much the same as a as a corporate controller for Fortune 500. You know, they paid me very well to do it, and I did yeah. it, and, and I and I was good at it. But yeah. I, but I didn't enjoy it, and and it didn't seem. And you know, if I showed up today or didn't show up today, it didn't didn't seem to have much effect on the world. And so I'm very much in touch yeah. with that having meaning, having meaning for your family, yeah. having meaning for your life, as opposed to just going in and punching the clock. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And I I guess I didn't realize until I left really how much I needed that or how much that was missing um, in what I was doing before. Well, and it's interesting that you talked about the uncertainty. You know, I've told people and everybody that listens to the podcast will hear these same stories a hundred times, but 30 years ago when I had small businesses, I decided that the uncertainty of small business was, was difficult, um, you know, with kids and the things going on. Mm -hmm. And I traded uncertainty for unhappiness. And then yep. 30 years later, I traded unhappiness for uncertainty, and I've it's kind, of, it's kind of gone back the other way. But you make the point yeah. that even in corporate America, it's not like th- that uncertainty isn't a, isn't a part of it because there are so many uncertainties about 
your job and so many uncertainties about who you're going to work for and so many uncertainties about yep. and, and you talked about reorganizations. I always fought the term reorganization because reorganization implies that we were organized to begin with. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so true. When you repaint something, it means it's already painted. So it would seem that a reorganization would mean we were organized and I never bought into that. <laughs> yeah. So when when yeah, did you open yeah, so when did you point. open your store? Uh, we had our soft opening in November of 2019 and our official grand opening in December of 2019 on like the snowiest day of the year. Had, so, so it was a, so, a, an intimate celebration. <laughs> so how did how how has has the COVID-19 um, surprise impacted your business? You know, I get asked that question a lot and um, I I, I'm going to say it's hard to know how it's impacted it because I didn't really have a baseline to compare it to, you know, because our first year of business was really, um, as we were launching and growing the business, that was when the COVID, um, pandemic really was also growing and ramping up at the same time. So, I don't know what our year would have been like in a non-COVID year, but I want to say, um, you know, I think the, the year has been more or less on target with kind of what we had expected um, in terms of, you know, the, uh, the sales and, and the growth of our business. Um, I know I'm very grateful. You know, I think about this all the time you know, when we were contemplating different businesses to get into and some of the things we had thought about, you know, maybe like a, like a coffee franchise or something, you know, I'm really glad that we didn't go that direction because I think the food industry has been, you know, has been hit really hard. And, um, I think if you were going to launch a new business in 2020, uh, which is, I think is a tough year to launch a business, probably technology and computer support is probably one of the the better bets, you know, because people are really relying on all their technology to work now that they're working from home and stuff like that. So, so yeah, I think it, it hasn't, I don't think it's had a huge impact on us, maybe slightly positive impact on us, but um, more so just um, the, the bigger impact I think has been testing our resilience and our ability to, uh, adapt and change to changing conditions in the market and having to change our work processes very quickly to adapt to, you know, the COVID guidelines and safety protocols and, and all that kind of stuff. So, so we had to really think on the fly and, and adapt very quickly to make sure that we were, you know, doing all the right things to keep our employees safe and our customers safe and, and all that kind of stuff. So other, other than the, the, don't know if I'd have started it during a global pandemic. What what do you know now that you wish you had known before you started? I mean, I have, um, I mean, I have learned so much in such a short period of time, and that's something that I've really, really enjoyed. You know, working in this as a, you know, as a new business owner, um, really uh, getting to learn a lot of different things that I never had the opportunity to do before in my corporate, very specialized job. You know, learning all about learning all about marketing and sales and uh, learning more about technology. I mean, I was a technology project manager, but I never really had to 
I had, you know, resources on my projects that were, were really involved in the day-to-day of the technology. So I've learned a tremendous amount about technology as well. So um, I think just, um, you know, just making sure that, uh, you know, I guess I, what I didn't know then that I know now is just that I was going to have to become sort of a, uh, um, I don't want to say a master of everything, but, you know, kind of was going to have to get involved in every, every aspect of the business, um, and, and know enough about it to, you know, to be competent and, and to, uh, you know, keep things going. Well, that's, it's interesting on the validation calls. I'm, I'm one of the people that that they that they have call when there's somebody talking about the franchise and there's a significant number of people that are looking at franchising uh, specifically nerds to go now that yeah they're they're there's a new season in their life and it's and it's not age discrimination as much as salary discrimination you know there are people that are better my age that are you know in their late 50s early 60s and then they're looking at they're going to have to do something else and and maybe the corporate thing's not going to continue to support them and one of the things that we talk mm-hmm. about is, you know, in a, in a corporate world, if your chair's squeaking, you call facilities, and if, <laughs> exactly, if, and if you got a contract to look at, you call legal, and if you got a problem employee, you call HR. And that's one of the points that I try to make to people is when you're a small business owner, you are facilities, and you are legal, and you are HR. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and uh, you're exactly right, Woody. And I think that. Um, like for me, that is an energi that's energizing. Like I, I, I'm a kind of a lifelong learner and I love learning new things and, um, it's exciting and energizing to me to, to be able to, to, to teach myself and learn and, and learn from others as well. I think that's a really important thing, um, that I would definitely encourage any, you know, new franchisee to do is to build your network and reach out because people, love to help, you know, for the most part. I mean, I have found like all the other franchisees that I've reached out to have been tremendously helpful and willing to share their lessons learned and their ideas. And, um, you don't have to figure out everything for yourself. You know, there's a huge network of people out there that have been through what you're probably going through and are most likely happy to help you. That's one of the things that we talk about. It's easy to tell a settler from a pioneer because the pioneer's the one that's got arrows in his behind. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so true. What was your what was your biggest surprise looking back over the first year? What was the thing that surprised you the most? Actually, I think it was um, the hiring process. Um, I, I realize now looking back that I was definitely in a corporate bubble um, because, you know, I did, a, I did a fair amount of hiring and recruiting when I was in my corporate job for an insurance company. Um, you know, I had to hire people and I had plenty of experience, you know, interviewing and, and selecting people in that environment. Um, and, so I took a lot of that learning and those practices and tried to to bring them to bear to help, um, you know, when we were trying to hire uh, our nerds for our business. And I was, I think the thing that surprised me the most was how really uh, tough it was going to be to find really good people um, because, you know, not only do you need to find someone who's 
who's technical, who's technical, has all the certifications and the qualifications, but you also want to find someone who is going to treat your customers right and the way that you want them to be treated and have a good customer service skills and, and be nice to their teammates and things like that and be someone that you want to work with because, you know, you're like a small family in this small store, right? So uh, you, you, you don't want to have a bad apple or it's going to, you know, spoil the whole bunch. So, so yeah, and um, just going through that whole interview process and um, just, I, I don't know, I was surprised at the, the lack of, um, I don't know, I'd say sort of professionalism. I have a lot of people, there was a lot of no-shows for interviews. People would schedule interviews and not show up. People would come for uh, an interview um, that you thought maybe went pretty well, but then you never hear from them again. Um, and just, uh, or, and then some people would come to the interview and be very ill prepared for what I thought were pretty basic questions. Um, so it was, yeah, it was just a whole different environment out in the real world as opposed to, <laughs> to my corporate bubble where, you know, there were just certain norms, you know, everybody showed up on time, everybody followed up with a letter, everybody had, you know, pretty much the rote answers down to your behavioral based interview questions and had, you know, uh, so you just kind of knew what to expect. But yeah, going into the interview process for the, um, for the nerd position was a totally different world that's, and so i definitely had to adjust my my expectations well, that's one of the things that i joke about is the way you can tell an extroverted nerd is he looks at your shoes when he talks to you <laughs> so funny. oh yeah yeah so yeah we, re we really ran into some interesting characters um and uh but you know ultimately it took a lot longer than i expected to hire our team um and I, but i'm glad we took the time you know, and, and got just the right people because that's so important. But yeah, it took way longer than I thought it was going to. So that, that's something that turned out to be more difficult that didn't, that you didn't think was going to be as difficult as it was. Is there anything that turned out to be really easy that you thought was going to be difficult? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think everything was harder than I thought it was going to be probably. Um, um, I'm really not trying to be, to, 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 to be facetious, but no, I don't think so. I think pretty much everything was harder than I thought it was going to be, but that's okay. Well, I've been, you know, I've been it's sharing all character building. I've been sharing in the, in the interviews that I've, that I've done uh, as I'm working through the interviews with the nerds owners, um, a friend of mine, I asked him how things were going and he said, it's great until I figured out that I spent $150,000 to buy an 80 hour a week job that don't pay nothing. Which, yeah, which you is, know, it's, it's kind of funny. funny when you first hear it, but then after a while, it kind of hurts. <laughs> I guess so, I guess I'm an optimist. What can I say? I mean, I can I can relate to that to some degree. Um, although, you know, I I have to say, I don't mind the hours because I I enjoy what I'm doing, and I'm working toward a goal, and I know that my effort eventually will benefit, you know, will benefit me and, and my team and everything. So, 
I don't mind so much putting in the hours. Whereas when I was in the corporate job, if I was putting in the same amount of hours, I'd probably be a little resentful. So, but um, yeah, I don't mind. So as you as you as you look at it and you go through it and you have that that joy for what you're doing, what what's your biggest sense of accomplishment? So you're you've been in it for a little over a year. What's your biggest sense of accomplishment that you've that you feel good about for the first year? All the the repeat customers that we've had in such a short period of time, I would say um, I should I should probably go in and put a, a, a number to it, you know, and count it. But I just want to say, you know, I, I see, you know, uh, I want to say we've we've been able to help like over 400 customers in our first year. And we've had a, quite a high percentage of return customers, people coming back because they were really happy with their service. And that that to me is um, I feel like the thing I'm most proud of Um because that's that's something that we really wanted to that was super important to uh, both me and Nicole um, when we started this business was to be very um, you know very customer focused um, and to really uh, you know be kind of a leader in the industry in terms of customer satisfaction and customer focus and offer that kind of personalized touch that may you know sometimes lacking um, so so yeah that's I think that's that's what I'm most proud of so far. So the, your favorite part is helping people and making a difference and doing those things that, that have, that have an impact. What's, what's your least favorite part of what you do? Bookkeeping. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be very happy someday when, uh, you know, luckily, you know, I had a, a I, I studied finance and accounting in college way back in the day. So whatever, I have a basic understanding of, uh, you know, financial statements and uh, how accounting works and stuff like that. So, you know, between Nicole and I, we've kind of, we kind of split up our duties and, and that bookkeeping stuff has kind of fallen to me since, since, you know, I had a little bit of background in it, but uh, yeah, it's just, you know, tedious and, and I look forward to the day when I can outsource that. Well, and, 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 you know, that's one of the decisions that a small business owner has to make. And that's, you know, for, for example, you know, my undergraduate degree is accounting. And so, yeah, ah. I've, I've, I've got the accounting. I can do the accounting. But my question is, is the time that I spend doing the accounting impacting the time that I can spend doing business development? Can I make more money doing business development than it costs me to have the accounting done? Yes. Yeah, you're, you're right. And, and I think, uh, you know, the whole business development side of things has been, um, well, you know, we've talked about this before, Woody, I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert, right? So, um, doing the business, a lot of the business development activities is sometimes uncomfortable for me. Uh, so, so I'm much more comfortable sitting behind a computer, you know, working on spreadsheets or working in QuickBooks or something like that than going out, um, you know, into the world and, and, uh, starting up conversations with people. So, um, yeah, you know, that's something that's been a, a growth opportunity for me is to um, get more comfortable being uncomfortable. And, um, and that, that's a, another skill, you know, that I'm, that I'm still working on. So, so the, the, we talked a little bit about planning and, and, and looking at the numbers and doing the things, what, what kind of planning process do you go for, go through 
on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis? What's your what's your process that you put together to to set targets, to set goals, and to do that planning? I mean, I, I will be honest that it's been it's been sort of uh, in flux. It's been a work in progress. You know, we've been trying different things. Um, you know, to see kind of what works and what doesn't work. And it's been a trial and error along the way. I'd say um, my plan uh, probably evolving over the last year as I've learned, as I've met more people, um, as I get new opportunities, new tools to work with and things like that. Um, But, you know, mostly, um, you know, Nicole and I, you know, we, we sit down uh, together on at least a weekly basis and kind of look to see what we're doing and where we, you know, kind of um, how we're spending our time and where we could be, you know, where we think we're doing well and where we have opportunities for improvement. And we, uh, you know, we modify that as we go. We also have weekly meetings with, uh, with our team members to kind of go through some of that stuff. And re- retrospectives are very much a part of our um business planning process as well you know we'll we'll after a project or something we'll sit down and talk about what went went well what didn't go well what can we learn from this what can we improve and kind of we're you know always in kind of that continuous improvement cycle and i think that that that's worked out really well for us that's 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 our motto semper gumby always flexible as you uh as in the last Four, three or four months, um, the, the Fast Signs acquisition where Fast Signs International and now Propel Brands, the Nerds to Go processes or the Nerds to Go franchises are now part of that larger organization. What, what do you see coming for Nerds to Go given that partnership that has developed? You know, I'm in kind of like a wait and see mode. I'm encouraged and, and feeling overall, um, you know, positive about it. Um, it's exciting that we maybe will have access to a little bit more support and more resources than what we had available to us before, which, you know, is encouraging. I really like what I'm seeing so far in terms of like, uh, some of the work that's gone into providing like the, the, I'll call it the marketing collateral, like the, uh, the, the ideas that they're putting together, like, uh, monthly or quarterly, um, promotions or, uh, you know, marketing packages that we can use so that all of the franchise owners have, aren't having to necessarily go and figure that out all by themselves. Um, so I think that's, that's going to be great. You know, if we can get more of that, like what we, what we got for, uh, you know, the Christmas holiday. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see some more of that kind of stuff coming out. I'm, I'm really um, encouraged by the work that, um, you know, I've seen lately in trying to consolidate and standardize the tool sets as far as like the products that we're going to um, focus on for our business customers. Especially on the managed service side, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I do feel like it's been a little bit of a... I don't know, I want to say Wild West, but, you know, it's been, we just, we just have a very diverse, broad set of products and that we're working with. And then it becomes a little bit difficult to master all of them. So 
Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing like a more, a little bit more of a standardized process that we can all um, really get behind and, and become really, really good at supporting and, and um, deploying to our, our business customers. I think that'll be, that'll be a great improvement as well. And, um, you know, and then hopefully some, a little bit better uh, buying power so that we can, um, you know, get a little bit better prices, maybe little, on little, some of the products little, that we're selling. A little better, little better sourcing information, a little better sourcing yeah. uh, channels. Yeah. The, how much of your yep. business now is business to business versus business to consumer? Um, I would say uh, typically between, between 40 to 50% of our, of our revenue comes from business customers and, you know, um, 50 to 60% on the residential side. Um, and we would like to increase that. So you have, you have the population of business customers is smaller, but they're generally larger ticket items because you're doing a little bit more for them. Yes, that that's correct. Yeah. So if I looked at it, uh, on a, on a percent of revenue basis, yeah. Uh, percent of revenue that comes from the business customer base is yeah probably about half of what we make whereas yeah if i looked at it on just the number of customers it's probably maybe 30 percent of our customers are business as you as you've done this and and you keep working towards your why and and the the joy that you get from helping people and the stories that you hear uh, talking to rory dunneback uh, up in oregon Mm -hmm. one of the things that he talked about was how how much fun it is to to know, get to know people and get to know their stories and get to know what's going on in their business. As you've done that, and that has been a part, do you find that you're making a lot of friends of customers? Uh, I, yes, in a, in a sense. I mean, I think people are always a little surprised, um, you know, because we are still a relatively small um, location. So it's kind of like a little family. You know, we, I know, I, I could probably, you know, um, recognize a lot of the people that walk through the doors, you know, and I might know their name. And I, I had a lady came in today um, whose husband was here a couple weeks ago and she brought in her computer for some service. And and um, she's like, oh, I said, oh, uh, can I have your name? And she gave it to me. And I said, oh, yeah, I think your husband, you know, your husband is you know, James, uh, he was here a couple weeks ago and I think she, she was kind of taken aback and surprised like, Oh wow. You know, people don't remember his name. People don't expect, (laughs) people don't expect personable people in the computer business. (laughs) I guess maybe that's true. Yeah. I think that is true, but yeah, it's, um, it is, it's really rewarding to be able to help people with, you know, with problems or to be able to give them peace of mind. We just did a, we just did a voice over IP phone installation for a local salon and day spa. And, um, you know, it's just, it was really fun to see, you know, this, this poor salon owner who is just so fed up and frustrated with her old phone system and was about to throw it out the window, you know, and, and just this, this awful process that she was having to go through. Um, and, um, you know, within uh, a short time, you know, we were able to put in a brand new uh, modern voice over IP phone system for her. And 
um, she just loves it, you know, and she's so excited and she's so, um, she's so proud of herself, you know, that she was able to, um, adapt and learn this new technology in a very short period of time. And, and now, you know, they're, uh, you know, she's enjoying her, her job so much more. So, um, I, I, I think that it's, it's things like that, that, you know, make you, make you want to get up in the morning. Do it again tomorrow. So what are the, what are the, what are the one, two or three things that, that you would tell somebody that's starting to think about going into small business ownership and, and taking what I call the owner's voyage? Yeah, I think the first thing, um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that we did this is just to really make sure that you have plenty of working capital, you know, because things are always going to take longer than you think. They're going to cost more than you think. And um, I think that's, you know, probably why, you know, you see the statistics about so many small businesses fail, you know, within their first year, you know, for so many years. Um, Because I, I think that, you know, people maybe sometimes have an overly optimistic viewpoint of what they can do. And um, so just, I think the thing that really helped us was, you know, working through scenarios, you know, and um, kind of having your, having your kind of forecast of best and worst case scenarios so that you can, you can hope for the best, but plan for the worst and get through the slow times if, if they, if, and when they do happen. Um, so that, that would be my number one bit of advice. And then number two is just, uh, you know, to put a lot of care and time into making sure you hire the right people because that's going to make or break your business. And, uh, and, you know, in, in our case, I mean, our nerds are, they are our business. You know, they're the face of our business. So if we, um, you know, if we didn't hire the right person, uh, we could be in big trouble. So definitely take take the time to to hire the right people. And I think number three is just to uh, have fun no matter what, you know, because you're going to be spending a lot of time working on your business. So, you know, I think it's important to not take things too seriously and have and have fun while you're at it you know uh, oh having fun is the if you're not if, if you, if you got to go through life with a <laughs> ring in your nose there's no fun <laughs> that's right well trisha i appreciate your time this has been um you know talking and and learning about the owners has been incredibly fun for me to do and and i look forward to all of them and i certainly enjoyed this time together is there anything else that you would add about what you would do or what you would tell someone that says, you know what, this is, this trip is worth it. Yeah. You know what I would say? Just, if you want to do it, just do it. Just take the leap. Don't wait. Don't wait so long. You know, I, knowing what I know now, like I wish I would have taken this step 20 years ago, you know, um, I, because I, I just, Yes, it's hard and it's a little scary, but I love it so much. And um, I, uh, I sometimes I kick myself thinking that I stayed in a corporate job where I was not 
feeling fulfilled or happy when I knew I could have been doing something better. And I just, I did exactly what you said, Woody. I traded my, uh, I wanted that security. So I stayed unhappy for that security, but there's a, there is a big price to that. And um, so I would say, yeah, just don't wait too long. Do it, do it now. <laughs> Jump in. Build, build, build. It's, it's, it is in a lot of ways. It's building an airplane in flight. Yes. Yep. Yep. I think that's true. You're the king of analogy. So I always know who to come to if I need a good analogy. Well, that was episode number 39, an interview with Trisha Jones from Northampton, New Hampshire. All of these interviews that I'm doing are incredibly valuable. And I can't tell anybody how much I appreciate the time that these owners are giving to me to spend an hour or so to talk through the things about their business that are meaningful to them and the things that they're learning. And I hope you can learn from them as well. I'm Woody Huffines. This is the owner's voyage podcast, episode number 39. I hope you enjoyed it. Leave us a comment, send us an email and join us again for the next interview.